I'm Pastor Scott, lead pastor of the river. We hope that you are blessed by what you hear on, on this podcast. We hope that God's word continues to have power in your life. And we pray that uh, God makes himself known. Thanks for checking us out and uh, enjoy the service. Awfully glad that uh, so many family members are here. You're actually uh, um, here, just so you know, on the first Sunday in which we start a new series on the book of Romans. And since you're here for the first one, you might as well just come back for every message in the series. Um, we actually are we're scheduled through next July, so you guys just keep coming back. Uh, we're actually beginning a series on the book of Romans, Truth That Transforms, Truth and Transformation, however you want to put that. Um, we... Um, We'll be walking through this a little bit differently. You already noticed if you're looking at my sermon outline, it looks significantly different than what it usually does. So um, I'll talk a little bit more about um, that in a moment, what we're doing here. But um, we uh, will walk this through. We have things scheduled all the way until the week of uh, Thanksgiving, the week before Thanksgiving. Um, And then we'll take a break for uh, the Advent time. Then we'll, after uh, Christmas is over, then we'll move all the way until we hit Lent. Then Lent, we'll take a break for a little while, and then we'll finish up the series after Easter. So that's the plan. We'll see how God does this and God works in all of this. Um, it's it's uh, definitely a stretch for me. I'll tell you more about that in a moment, but um, also something where I'm learning some good things, and I'm grateful for that. So as we turn to God's Word, Romans chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, let's pray for His blessing and His presence on our time. God, we are grateful that you have called us to your word. And now that we are here, gathered around it, Lord, do your work through your spirit and because of the work of Jesus Christ, do your work of changing us. Impart to us wisdom, discernment. Prepare us, Lord, for the work you have ahead for us in your kingdom. Praying, Lord, that uh, you will give clarity to me and Nick and the other preachers Lord, that we can share truly what, what you call us to in obedience. And that those who receive your word might receive it, Lord, in humility. That as it is a call to transformation, that truly your work might be done. Father, we pray all these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Um, I hope you brought your Bibles. If you didn't bring your Bibles in coming weeks, I would encourage you to. Um, there's lots of stuff here that you can mark up and, and uh, use your pen or pencil on in, your, in the Word in order to be reminded of in the future. So um, if you didn't bring it this week, I would encourage you to bring it next week. From Romans chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him and for his name's sake we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith, and you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
You notice on that screen there, there's some artwork behind. Terry Heemstra actually um, has previous to this studied the entire text of the book of Romans and did a word art book with every single verse of scripture. So over the course of the series, you're going to see some of her little pages, some of her creativity and thoughts and ideas, and we are grateful for Terry allowing us to use some of her artwork and blessing us. Let's talk a little bit about expository preaching. For those of you who who don't know, I am not an expository preacher by training. My method of preaching has always been the four-page method. Greek to you, which is appropriate, but it's something you you don't know what that is, but it's really, it has a specific structure, a specific purpose, and it moves me and others who use it to study in a certain way, to prepare and create outlines in a certain way so that it allows us to enter into the four pages of the sermon. That's not what we're doing here. And because I'm not trained in this, um, like I you know, was in seminary, um, I'm going to also be doing some learning. I'm going to learn how to do this better, and Lord willing, I'll improve over the course of this sermon series. But we will walk through each pericope, and pericope is a section of text that is preachable. And basically, you figure what that is by the original text. Greek, in this case, the book of Romans is written in Greek. You look for little evidences, little signs, little things in the text that help you understand that there are certain sections and you can preach this section together, preach this section of verses together. This section that we have this morning is clearly a pericope for a number of reasons, including the fact that it is the initial address. We'll talk about that in a moment too. But there are other pericopes which are much larger, so we're going to spend more time in some verses and less time in others just because those sections are larger. But we'll go through each verse by verse. And within that, um, classically, expository preaching doesn't do something that I really like, so I'm going to do it anyway. So I'm going to do a little bit of a hybrid, and that is application. Expository preaching in its purest form simply concentrates on what the text says. I'm not going to do that because I am who I am, and I really want you to be able to go away saying, here's what this means next. That's always going to be in our outline, the so what what part at the end of the outline. When you see that, you know we're getting to the application, what this word is equipping us to do as we go out from this place. Another thing about expository preaching is that many of you like it. You have specific favorite expository preachers that maybe you hear on the internet or you've read before and you like what they have to say. And so you will have heard messages on the book of Romans before. It's it's an incredible book. Many people have taught on it. But because there's so many messages in the book of Romans, and because it is a big, huge, incredible book, I'm not going to say some of the things that you really like that that preacher that you like said. That's going to happen. And some of you will say, you really need to listen to this preacher Because they really have some great things to say, which means, to me, at least you're saying, I need to preach like them. So I'll take the slap in the face if you want to do that. But the reality of it is, there's lots of different perspectives and opinions and ideas about what the text says. I'm not saying there's not absolutes here. 
There certainly are. There certainly are things that we can for sure be able to draw out the truth of the text that does not change. But there are other little tidbits, little things, little help things, little um, neat little uh, constructions that happen that maybe you've heard and you really like, and I don't share that. It's not because I'm not doing my study. Believe me, I studied more for this sermon than I have probably for some of, you know, many of my previous sermons just because I had to learn so much. So if I don't say what it is that you uh, like to hear, understand, it's not because I may not be aware of it. It's because there's so much here. Why is there so much here? Because Paul is graduate level Greek letter writer. This guy's like the PhD of gospel or, or New Testament writers. Think about it. Peter was what for a trade? What did he do for a living? He was a fisherman. And if you know, fishermen are going to have a certain level of education and competency which, with a language, Greek. Paul is, he's part of the synagogue. He's part of the scholars. He's part of the heavies who would have learned a whole lot about reconstruction. In fact, there are some things that even we're going to hit today that Paul, because of his mastery of the Greek language can bring out in some pretty incredible ways, pretty ornate stuff, very artistic, very beautiful Greek, but also very academic, which means since it's academic, it's going to be deep. It's going to be wide. There's going to be a lot here, and there's certainly more here than I can share with you in a 40, 45-minute, two-hour-long sermon. You pick, all right? I'll do my best. So the final thing is, is that for us to understand, because this is so deep and so wide, I have on my desk right now in my office, my office is more messy now than it usually is, although if you ask other staff people, they might say differently. But within reach of my chair, I have six different commentaries on the book of Romans. And here's the thing. Every single one of them is thicker than this book. There's a lot there. One of them in particular is called Hermeneia. Hermeneia commentary series is incredibly text-based, which means I actually have to read the Greek, or if it were an Old Testament book, Hebrew. They put that as part of the commentary. It focuses very much on the text itself and the artistry and the construction of it. I have, another, I have other commentaries which don't focus so much on the text, the original words, but they might focus on Roman culture or Jewish culture within Roman culture. But the challenge is, is that they're also reading archaeological finds and books that differ in how they view different things that happened at that time. So there's a number of different opinions. I also have one which is called the NIV Application Commentary. What do you think that focuses on? Focuses on application. Gives you ideas on where the text takes you. So I have all these different books from all these different people who are 50 billion times smarter than I am, bringing a myriad of different opinions. I'm going to do my best to share with you the truth as the Spirit gives me from Scott Algersma's point of view. Understand that that calling then is for you to discern within what we share together here on Sunday mornings 
what God might be speaking to you. Again, I'm not saying there's not absolutes here. I'm not saying that we're getting into relativism. I'm simply saying even with a lot of incredible Christian people studying the text in incredibly beautiful and amazing ways, there's lots of different perspectives that get used. So, simply ask. Be patient, discern, and when you go home, spend some time reflecting. Okay, if I go back to the book of Romans, or if I read another commentary, if I look at another thing that gets said, what does that speak to me? How is the Spirit moving in the text? Because we all know Scripture is a living document. And since it's a living document, it constantly changes and moves in some of the things that it does in our lives. Okay? Verse 1, Paul, servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Now, right from the beginning we hear Paul saying, I'm sending you this letter, and eventually we'll find out a little later on who he's sending it to. But why would he say it in this form and fashion? Well, remember, Rome from Israel is several days ship's journey. In fact, a few weeks ship's journey from Jerusalem. You'd have to journey to the coast, and then you'd have to take a ship, go up the coast, stop at some ports along the way, jump from island to island in order to ultimately go around the tip of Italy and end up in Rome. Word doesn't travel fast, So these folks might possibly have not known who Paul was. He's trying to let them know who he is. But not only that, word could travel fast enough to tell the people of Rome who Saul was. Remember Paul's transformation. On the road to, I forgot it in the first service, now my brain froze again. On the road to Damascus, ha, I got it. On the road to Damascus, Paul was met by Christ, spoken to, and transformed, converted. But before that, he was the great persecutor of the church. He'd killed, he'd destroyed churches, he'd sought to put an end to this way, which was the original name for Christianity, the way. So it could have traveled that Saul was writing them this book. Well, if Saul was writing them this book, that was a problem. Paul is saying, no, is I Paul? But not only that, he's also saying something very unique and peculiar. What's your third word in the verse? Servant. Now, you guys are reading NIV if you're reading the Pew Bibles. That translation is from the, I think it's 70s or 80s. It's been updated several times since then. I think you have about the 90s version of the NIV Bible. And so, since there's translation that continues to change, and and if you read other translations, you're going to certainly see different words. Servant is a choice that they made with the particular word doulos, original Greek. The word doulos could certainly mean servant. It's an appropriate translation. But I give it, in terms of what the word is nuanced, about a C-minus. 
The word more, more phonetically, more, more true to the text is slave. And the reason why it's important for us to understand that Paul is in that context using slave is it's part of what he's using to prove his identity. The word slave has been used to describe people like Paul elsewhere in the text. In fact, in the Old Testament, people like Moses, people like David, people like Isaiah, people like Ezekiel, prophets or people who could speak into the lives of the nation of Israel called themselves slaves. That Paul is doing this with his third word, In English, it's actually, I believe, the second word in the original Greek. He is saying, I am like one of these folks. I am a doulos. I am a slave of God. But not only that, he also uses another word. He calls himself an apostle, apostelos in original Greek. An apostle or an apostelos is a messenger, a messenger of God who would speak God's words, same thing as the Old Testament prophets. And if you know how those Old Testament prophets spoke, there's even some reference to that. Isaiah was met by God and God spoke to him, say to my people, Paul is putting himself into that same place as an apostelos. He is saying, God speaks to me that I might say to you, say to others, the message message that God has, in fact, given me. Paul is claiming authority right from the beginning to speak to the Roman church about the truth of, verse 2, the gospel. Let's read verse 2. Verse 2 says this, The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Now really quickly, is there anyone who can give me a Scripture reference to the Old Testament using this word, the gospel? Was there any place that you can think of in the Old Testament where the gospel was promised to God's people? That word, the gospel. You're not going to find it. You are going to instead discover something else promised. What was promised over and over and over again to the people? The Messiah. Salvation. So when Paul is referring to the gospel, he's not simply referring to the writings of, of, of the church. He's not re- referring to what is called, it's wangeleon, good news. He's not referring that the good news is about the words I'm going to tell you. He's referring to the fact that the wangeleon, the good news, is the person I'm going to introduce you to. And that is Jesus. And it's interesting because the entire book of Romans, the depth and the breadth, the longest letter in the New Testament. By the way, do you know why the letters are in the order that they're in? Anyone know this? It's the length. Romans is the longest letter, followed by 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, and then you go on from there. They're all in order of their length. It's not some chronological, magical, cool thing. It's in the order of their length. Romans is the longest letter, but it's appropriate that it comes after Acts. Why? Because it's the deepest, widest, heaviest duty 
gospel letter that you're going to see. It's got so much stuff that founded early Christian doctrine and even doctrine today that it's right from the beginning, the big letter that people would hear. Paul is telling these folks, guess what? I want you to meet Jesus, and now I'm going to give you this big long letter which will tell you more about who this Jesus is. And that's your euangelion, good news. Okay? Verse 3 and verse 4. Verse 3 and 4 say this, Regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David, who the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm going to read that again. Listen to how I read it differently. Regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God, by his resurrection from the dead. It's got a rhythm to it. In fact, the early text, the Greek text, has it even more distinctly. And this rhythm is debated whether or not, in fact, it is creedal. Creedal is simply a statement of faith that can be shared within the community. Basically, it's a simple or basic, important Christian teaching that by repetition or sharing it regularly, you can be reminded of. It's possible that Paul wasn't the first person to write this. In fact, he may simply have been sharing something that was familiar to the Christian community, something that they regularly, regularly recited. We actually have creedal statements within this community. I believe in God the Father. We go through the whole Apostles' Creed together. It's a creedal statement. It reminds us of God the Father, God the Son, Christ the Son, uh, and the Holy Spirit. It's a basic thing that some of us can remember hearing the rhythm of and reciting in church when we were three, four years old, and it sticks because we hear that truth over and over again. Paul could be sharing such a thing. Why would we think that? Look at the, de the depth and the breadth of what he is sharing. He says, first of all, he says that he is the Son of God according to his flesh, through David. Okay, we'll get to that in a moment. But then he also brings in the Holy Spirit. That actually is a huge theological teaching because we are talking about the nature of Christ as human and as divine. And believe me, if you read your church history, you will find out in the first 300 years of the church, that was a big deal, a really big deal. In fact, people fought over it all the time. People were excommunicated like crazy because they didn't believe a certain form or fashion about the incarnation of Christ. There's special words that we use. There's a word called filioqua that actually teaches us something specifically about who Jesus is. There were all these debates. It got really complicated and really messy. Right from the beginning in this possibly creedal statement, Paul is making a statement about who Christ is. He is begotten of his human nature through David. And he is begotten through the Holy Spirit claiming him to be the Son of God. 
So you already have this heavy-duty doctrinal distinction, and we're only at verse 4. We've got heavy-duty theology here, folks. This is deep stuff. Keep hanging on, because there's even more to it than that. Why would he claim Jesus as the son of David, begotten in his human nature? Think about it. Jesus is actually the son of a whole lot of folks. Now remember the genealogies. Paul is not claiming him to be the son of Salmon, S-A-L-M-O-N, who's in the genealogy. He could because he's part of the line of David. He's claiming him to be a son of David. He's also could have chosen, he also could have chosen Moses, patriarch of the faith, person who led them into the promised land, but he doesn't. We need to ask the question why. He could have chosen Abraham, father of the nation of Israel, but he did not. Why does he not do that? Because it's important he choose David. David is royal. He's the royal line, so he's claiming the kingship of Jesus. Why would he do that? It's important that we understand who the Romans are. The Romans are Roman citizens under the power of Caesar. Caesar is their emperor. But much more than that, in Roman culture, the Caesar is not just your emperor. He is, in fact, a son of God. They would mint coins with Caesars surrounded by stars and the moon or the sun. Why? To connect them with the firmament. They were in control. They were on high. They weren't just the rulers who sat in the palace in the center of Rome. No, they were gods themselves. Here, Paul is counteracting the Roman culture by saying, Caesar can claim to be God, but he doesn't have the same standing. Jesus does. Jesus is royal too. He's from the line of David. But more than that, he's the son of God through the Holy Spirit. Christ is king. But he's not king through some sort of military victory or political intrigue, but because he's God. Now, quickly, how many of you, your favorite text of Scripture, you all have favorite verses, but your favorite verse of Scripture comes from Romans 1, 1 through 7? Probably not many. We're only four verses in, and we get the depth and the breadth of what Paul is already teaching. There's just so much. It's, some of these sermons are going to be three hours long. I'm just telling you. <clears throat> verse 5. Verse 5 says this, Through him and for his name's sake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes through faith. Listen to that again really quickly. Through him and for his name's sake, we received grace and apostleship. We received grace and apostleship. He's saying that he's included with the people of God who, through grace, received apostleship. What's an apostle? Apostelos is a messenger of God. We received through grace and apostleship. Means that we have received apostleship. 
I know I'm belaboring what is a very simple point, but that means that Paul is including through grace the task of apostleship. You become a messenger of God through his grace. You do. I do. We do. How is your messenger service doing? Are you carrying that message? And not only that, but he includes it to the Gentile world, the unbelieving world. How are you and I, the voice of God, the apostle to an unbelieving world? How are we carrying that message? We've received grace. We've received apostleship. The call is there. It's very real. Are we responding to that call? And it's certainly a challenge. And then we get a really complex construction. In the text, about eight words, uh, I think we have about ten words in the text in English about that faith and obedience relationship. In Greek, it's only about five or six. It's an incredibly complex, what is called participial instruction. Participial is simply two words that act upon each other and have influence upon each other. Faith and obedience are two participial words that have interaction. There's about eight or nine different translations of what that relationship is. There's lots of different choices we could make. I'm going to make one because I'm in charge and I'm up here. Here's what I'm saying. That faith is the source of obedience. Faith is where obedience comes from. Faith is something when we do not believe, or when we believe in something that we cannot see. When we cannot see Jesus or God, that we would act in faith, trusting that he is who he says he is, does what he says he will do, loves how he loves us, and calls us to be obedient to that. That as we do that, even though we can't see him, we will walk more closely with him. As we express trust and faith in God, we will live out obedience. That's what I think it means. And others certainly agree with me, and it comes even out here in the text. But for us to understand that, for us to be challenged by that, for us to be poked and even prodded by that. And then we get verse 6. Verse 6 says, Then and you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Here's a question. Who would be in the Roman church? Jews or Gentiles? Anyone? Mostly Jews. Mostly Gentiles. All Gentiles. I love asking you questions where you don't answer. That's all good. It's mostly Gentiles, but there's still some Jews. All right? So there's some Jews there. But these are mostly Gentiles reading the letter. Why would this verse be important? Because Paul is saying there may be something that has happened that you don't know much about. Peter had a vision. Remember Peter's vision? The food came down. What was unclean before now became clean. 
That happened early on in the book of Acts. I want to say it's somewhere between um, chapter 6 and verse 10, or chapter 6 and chapter 10. Paul gets this vision, and that opens up the church and the Holy Spirit and God's presence, Christ's presence, to, to the Gentiles. Well, remember, this is not a Facebook world. Paul can't upstate his status and say, hey, Gentiles, and you're in, you're in. Throw a party. It doesn't work like that. It takes time for things to get out. The people in Rome who might have received this may not have had the clarity yet that Gentiles were included. With this letter, Paul is saying to them, you Gentiles, Anyone who reads this, you church in Rome, you are part of the family of God. He's making sure that's clear to them that they're not reading this letter thinking, okay, I'm a Gentile, I only get about a half of this applying to me. No, they're reading it fully included in the family of God. And then we get my favorite verse. You'll understand why it's my favorite verse in a moment. Verse 7 says this, To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be. Say it louder, please. I love that word. You know I love that word. It's a claim about identity. Paul is claiming that these folks are called to be part of the sainthood, the the holiness of believers. Grace and peace to you from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a typical greeting. You're going to see constructions of that last uh, sentence there in almost all of Paul's letters in different forms and fashion. Now we get to the so what. Well, here's the thing. Paul says something right at the beginning about being set apart. Set apartness is key to the Christian faith. If you know the grace of Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, you are set apart. You are distinct. You are unique. You are different within the world that you live in. There is a claim that God has put upon you through his grace, through his apostleship imparted to you to be a messenger of his to the world that you live in right now. An unbelieving world, a broken, dark, pained world, a lonely world. And God has equipped you through his grace to be set apart within that world. But you have a calling, and that calling is to proclaim who he is with your life, with your words, with all that you do so that he might be glorified and others might come to know him. And the second so what is this? Through the Spirit, we carry that good news with us out of obedience produced by faith. You want to be a greater messenger service? You want to be a greater apostle in the kingdom? Live out an obedience that comes by trusting in the one that you can't always see. You can't always feel. You can't always know in the way that maybe you want to know Jesus. But for you and I to trust that he will fulfill all of his promises in our lives. He will be faithful to who he said he is and what he says he will do. For us to trust in that leads us to be a better apostle in the world that desperately needs to hear about Jesus. Now we're starting on a year-long journey. There's a lot that's going to be shared. And I hope that you come away from this at the end with a number of different things. But let me tell you what my greatest hope is. My greatest hope is not 
that you come away from this series saying, wow, I really know a lot about Romans now. Because if that is the case, I will have given myself a D minus in terms of being an effective preacher of the gospel that is promised through this book. I really hope that you see what Paul was trying to give. Paul was trying to show them the promised message of God to them. But what was that message of God? It was Jesus. My hope is that you come away from this year more in love with Jesus than you have been ever in your life. That you, through what we share, what we talk about, what we figure out, what we discover together, will see more of Jesus. And because you see more of that gospel, not just the doctrine, not just the heavy words, not just the big things or great ideas that helped equip the Christian church for the beginning of what it meant for them to build the kingdom of God. I want us, I want for me, the end of this year, to have more Jesus, to live more Jesus, to love more Jesus. And this book, as all books of the text, can certainly do this. Let's pray together that God might work in us to that end. We praise you, God, for your word. We praise you that it is powerful and has so much for us. Father, may we continue to glean what it is that you want us to know, learn what it is that you have for us so that we might fall more deeply in love with you, grow more deeply in love with you, be challenged to love you more and receive your love more fully. Father, open up our hearts and our minds that truly we, that relationship that we have with you grows more deep more wide, more vast, more unbelievable. Lord, may you surprise us with your love in ways this year that we can't even right now anticipate. We pray these things all in the name of Jesus. Amen. We hope that you are blessed by what you hear. Maybe you're checking out our website more and seeing things that you uh, are wondering whether or not you might want to participate in them. Feel free, contact us in the office, give us a call, send us an email. Um, we'd love to hear from you, love to answer any questions that you have. Thanks for checking us out.